All right, well, hello, Antioch. Uh, I am so excited to be with you and so excited for what I believe God has in store for us as a community in 2019. If you're new here, my name is Zach. I'm one of the, or I'm the lead pastor here. I get the joy and privilege of being a part of the leadership of this church and uh, really thankful that you would take time to start the year with us and take time to invest in your relationship with God. And our hope is that you would be inspired in your faith today that you would be equipped in your calling. And we want you to know that you have people here in your corner that believe in you and are pulling for you and praying for you. We'd love for you to get connected for our whole church, for everyone. Man, I'm just filled with faith and expectation for what God's going to do in our midst in these three or four weeks of January together. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter eight. We're gonna be back in the, in the gospel of Luke. We've been journeying through that as a community and we're going to be looking at a series of teachings from Jesus that I've grouped under the title, You in 10 Years. You in 10 Years. Now, 10 years makes a big difference in people's lives. Lots of changes happen in 10 years. I want to take you back in time, 10 years, to a few of our staff members, kind of 10-year-ago pictures and what they look like today to give you a little idea of how much change happens along the way. So first pick up, yes, there you go. Our own Stephen Murray rocking the Afro 10 years ago. You gotta love that. Okay, next picture, there is Ellen Schaub on the uh, right, uh, your left. She's in ninth grade, a ninth grader. Now she's our amazing children's pastor. So big change in 10 years. All right, next picture. This is me and my wife and Sparrow, our oldest, 10 years ago, and it was just us three. And now, if you'll put the next picture up, there's a whole lot more people in our family, and that little baby is now a very tall, uh, beautiful young woman on the way to teenagerhood. It's amazing. 10 years changes a lot. I want you to think back, go in the Facebook of your mind, go back in time hop, and think where you were 10 years ago. Think what you look like. Where, what were you? Were you in school? Were you working? Were you um, in a different season of life? What's changed in 10 years? What's happened? Maybe you're in some new relationships. Maybe you have a new job or work in a new place. Maybe you um, are, are a different stage in school. Whatever it may be, lots of change happens in 10 years. And now instead of looking back, I want you to look forward and I want you to think about 10 years into the future. It's hard to believe we're in 2019, so we're thinking 2029, which seems like the title of like a sci-fi movie way out there. It's only 10 years away. And maybe 10 years feels too far for you to think about. Maybe five years is about as far as you can get out, or maybe a year is about as far as you can get out. That's fine, just think about the future you. Who is the person that you are becoming? What are you going to be like in 10 years? Where are you going to be? Who are you going to become? As we start the year, I want to help you think about your future and my future. I want you to help us think about our future even together. And so over the next several weeks, we're grouping these talks under the title, You in 10 years. And what you can know is each week that you come in January, you're going to get a teaching from Jesus 
that gives us principles uh, of how we can proactively position ourselves for the future, for a fruitful future. Uh, on the last Sunday of the month, we are going to be having Vision Sunday, that's January 27th, where we'll turn from just looking at our individual lives to looking at what does God have in store for us as a church. That'll be January 27th. Uh, but today we're starting, and the title of today's message is Your Future Self Will Thank You. Your future self will thank you. Tell, turn to your neighbor and tell them your future self will thank you. And your future self will thank you if you take what Jesus is giving us today in his word and begin to integrate it and implement it in your life. Your future self will thank you. So in your Bibles, in Luke chapter eight, I'm gonna do something a little different. I'm gonna try it out. Many of you know I used to teach middle school and so we would try different things to help people learn. And I realized that it's been my habit to paste the scriptures on the slides that we go through. And I realized from December when I was sitting in the congregation and not preaching, but just being a part, I realized that that kicked me as a, as a participant into passive mode. Because for me, it felt like, oh, I'm kind of like watching a TV show. I can just watch along the screen. But what we're doing here together is anything but passive observation. What we're doing is we're meeting with the living God. And we're looking into his word. And as we see today, he wants to sow things into our lives. So I want to encourage you, if you brought your, your old school physical copy of the Bible, pull that out. If you have a Bible on your phone or you got Google and you can go to BibleGateway.com, you can do that. But I want to encourage you to read along in your own Bible right before you. And so I'm not going to have the scriptures up on the screen today. We're going to try this out. I know, I know. I'm serious. New teaching method, okay? If you need a paper Bible, we have some in the baskets around the sanctuary. So Luke chapter 8, verse 4. Starting in verse 4, we're going to read through famous teaching of Jesus, Luke chapter 8, verse 4. If you don't know where Luke is, look to the person beside you say, hey, help me out here. This is a place where you can learn. Uh, you know, we're, we're all asking questions, so you don't need to feel bad if you don't know where Luke is or how the chapters work or whatever. This is a learning environment. So Luke chapter 8, verse 4, uh, describing a scene from Jesus' life, a teaching. And it says this, it says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. So there's a crowd gathered around Jesus. People are coming. They've, they've heard of the miracles. They've heard of the healings. They've heard of what he's been doing. There's interest and there's intrigue and they're, they're, they're coming around to see what's going on here. And Jesus begins to teach and he teaches them a parable. We'll talk more about what a parable is in a moment. And he said this, he said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Verse six, some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. 
Verse 9, his disciples, these committed followers of Jesus, they, they ask him, Jesus, what does this parable mean? In verse 10, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God, this is Jesus speaking, has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and he takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell amongst thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble heart, with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Okay, so as we begin to learn from Jesus here, the first question uh, that we need to look at is what in the world is a parable? What is a parable? This is one of the teaching tools that Jesus regularly uses. I remember when I was in school, I had a teacher who one of his teaching tools that he would use to keep the class's attention and to teach new concepts, he could impersonate anyone. Any famous person, he could just jump into an impersonation. So you'd be going along, uh, it was a Latin class, somewhat dry, somewhat boring, but then all of a sudden he would jump into this voice or that voice or this voice, and it would wake you up and you'd, you'd lean in more and you'd get more. I had another teacher who, he was like a master of comics. Like every class, it seemed like he had like a, a Dilbert or a Calvin and Hobbes or a Charlie Brown that he would have on your desk when you came in and you would read it, and somehow it would connect to the lesson that day. It was one of his teaching tools. And another teacher, her, one of her teaching tools was asking questions. So her class was not her lecturing. Her class was asking you questions. And that put everyone kind of in attentive mode because you didn't want to be called on and not know what to say. I remember I think I studied more for that class than any other class because you never knew when it was gonna be your turn to speak in front of the whole group and you didn't wanna look like an idiot. That was her teaching method, right? So you're a little anxious in that, in that class. Parables are one of Jesus's teaching methods. It's not his only teaching method. He teaches a number of different ways, but these are one of the ones that are consistent. And I wanna show you in a minute a modern day parable that I think will help you understand, oh, I get what the purpose of this is. How many of you have heard of a street artist named Banksy? We got any Banksy? Few? Okay, I know that more than 10 of you have heard of Banksy. Uh, but if you haven't, he is a well-known street artist that operates in secret. No one really knows who he is. And yet his art will pop up in various places around the world, kind of graffiti form, and capture people's attention. Well, recently he was in the news for one of his paintings and something remarkable that happened with one of his paintings. And I wanna show you the clip. You might have seen this, but if you haven't, here's the clip. 
So you get the idea, he's got this painting that's up for auction at a very high prestigious art kind of auction. And as the bidding is going on, the winning bid, I believe, was $1.2 million. And as soon as it's going, going, gone, the shredder in the frame kicks in and the painting descends through the shredder and now it's in pieces below. Now I showed this to my kids and their first question was like, dad, why did he do that? What, what, why, right? And you might be asking that same thing. Part of Banksy's uh, deal is he, make, he uses lessons like this or scenes like this or events like this to teach a point. And his point here was talking about the superficiality of what we consider valuable, that we would spend $1.2 million on a little piece of paper that could be shredded and somehow the value goes up. It's kind of the absurdity of the way that we value things in our society, calling out our superficiality. He's making a point. He's using a lesson or an object or a scene or a story to teach a point, to teach a lesson. That's what a parable is. And that's what Jesus is using here. He's telling a story, but it's a story with a point. It's a story with a lesson. And this type of teaching is used particularly to grab people's attention to awaken people from slumber, to awaken people to a new way of thinking about the world. If Banksy had come on and just said, hey, the world's superficial, we value superficial things, every single one of us would be like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. Like, you just nod, right? But he does this unique stunt that you're like, wait, what is going on? And it causes you to lean in, and it causes you to listen, and it causes the lesson to sink deeper. That's what Jesus is doing when he uses parables. And we've got three of them in a row here in Luke 8. We're looking at the first one today. Uh, and these are grouped together by Luke, the compiler of the Gospel of Luke. He's got them grouped together because he's making a larger point as well. He's making the point from this story and the coming two stories, how in the world does a community like Israel that was steeped in the knowledge of God, that was built on the faithfulness and the goodness of God, that had the word of God given to them and the law, that had the, the priests and that had visitation from the Lord, they'd seen miracles and God move in power. How does a nation like that become, get into a place where they reject God standing right in front of them? Because over and over and over again in Jesus' ministry, the people that you thought would be the most excited about him end up rejecting him. And Luke is trying to help us see why, why is that? How did Israel get here? How did the community that was saved out of Egypt by the power of God, how did the community that said that God led them with a cloud by day and a fire by night, how did a community that had the living presence of God in their midst, that had received God's word, how did that community get to a place where God's standing in front of them and they just flat out miss it? They're too disinterested, too distracted, too disillusioned, too jaded, whatever it may be, to into their own deal and they miss Jesus. And Luke is trying to help us understand why is this happening? And here Jesus gives us one of the reasons. And as we learn how Israel got to this place, what you and I also learn is how we get to places in our lives. Most people go through life with hope for the future, 
but little clue in terms of, well, how do you actually, how does this actually get there, right? And we just kind of drift along. And what Jesus is giving us is he's giving us insights. There's much of life you can't control, but he's going to give us principles right here, things that you and I can do so that our future self will thank us, so that we'll move toward a fruitful future in our lives and our lives together. So I wanna encourage you to lean in today because God has something for you and your future self will thank you. So the first thing that we learn as we look at this parable is the power of potential. The power of potential. And the reason that I say that is as Jesus is talking, he's telling a story, and I want to make sure that you see the end goal or the end vision of the story. In verse 8, Jesus is speaking about a seed that's being sown. In his culture, seeds were investment. In our culture, seeds are a little gardening hobby, you know, that you kind of, maybe I'll grow some vegetables or some herbs. In his culture, seeds were an investment in the future. Rather than having your retirement account in, in a stock portfolio or a bond portfolio or real estate investments, you invested your wealth through the seed into the ground with a hope of a future return. Seeds are investment. And here he's talking about an investment that yields a hundredfold return. Verse eight, a hundred times more than what was sown. Now, you investors out there, if someone came to you and said, hey, uh, this year, if you put $100 in Amazon, by the end of the year, it's going to have gone up 100 times, and now it's going to be $10,000. If you put $100,000 in Amazon, it's going to be a million dollars. You're going to get a hundredfold, no, no, is that right? 10,000, yeah, 100,000 would be 10 million, is that right? Math teachers, okay. Wow, think about that. Every single one of us would be emptying out whatever money we had trying to buy into Amazon. We want a hundredfold return. And here Jesus is painting a picture of that for the future, and he's not talking necessarily about their stock portfolio or their bank account. He's talking about their lives. He's talking about the potential of a life that is fruitful and abundantly fruitful, a hundredfold return. Every person on the planet, religious, irreligious, uh, worshiping this God or that God or no God, every single person, I think we would all agree, or at least the vast majority of the people of the world, when we think about the future, we're hoping for a fruitful future. We might define it different ways based on our personality and our interests and our background. Fruitful to us might be different than fruitful to someone else, but we all want a fruitful future. What's amazing about this is that we see in the scriptures that God himself, the king and creator of all, that he wants a fruitful future for us as well. Get that. God himself wants a fruitful future for you and every other person on the planet. Let's walk through the scriptures on this. In Genesis, first book in the Bible, God speaks to a man named Abraham. Abraham is the father of Christianity, of Judaism, of Islam. All of them look to him. God speaks to him, and what does he say? Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to make your name great. I want to be your very great reward. 
Amazing. You, you fast forward or you go backward a little bit, Adam and Eve, the first people in the Bible, opening pages of Genesis, what does God say to them? I bless you to be fruitful and to multiply. You fast forward into the book of Jeremiah and we have the famous verse where God says, I know the plans that I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you, to bring you a hope and a future. Jesus himself said this. He said, I came that you may have life and life to the full. God deeply desires for you and for me to have a fruitful future. There's power in the potential. And I want you to sink, let that sink in today. I don't know how your 2017 was. I don't know how your last 10 years were. I mean, I know some of y'all, but not, not everyone. And so I realized we come into the new year in different places in our hope meter based on what we've been through. And, and as your pastor, as someone that God has put in your life to pour into you and minister to you, I want you to know with all of my heart, my hope for you is that your hope meter would be full and overflowing that you would go into 2019 and you would go into this new decade with a fresh sense of hope. Not necessarily in your own ability to pull stuff off, but in the goodness of God who has committed himself to you. That's exciting. So I wanna ask you a question and I'd encourage you to write this down. I'm gonna give you a series of questions today that you can take and begin to implement or take and process this week. If you are a, a, a person in here who's trying to be a spiritual leader in your home, a spiritual leader in your marriage, a spiritual leader in your family, simple deal, simple win this week. Take these questions today at lunch, tomorrow, sometime this week, bring them up with your family. Bring them up with your friends. Bring them up with your fraternity. Bring them up with your sorority. This is an easy way to take leadership. And the question for today on this one is, how is your hope meter? How is your hope meter? I want you to stop and think about how's my hope level? And is my hope level matching up to God's hope level for me? Am I dripping with hope? Are there areas of my life where I'm not dripping with hope? Because I believe God wants to minister to you in those places that you and I would be filled with hope. Now, big deal that most people miss. Most people get stumped right here. Most people get sidetracked right here, and I want to make sure you don't. When we're defining hope, the way our world defines hope is financial success, vocational success, relational success, health success, fill in the blank. That's how our, that's how our world fame, fortune, notoriety. That's how our world defines hope. And it's so tempting for us, even as the people of God, to put our hope there. And so when we start talking about God's potential, yes, when we translate that to mean, man, my career is going to go up and to the right. My marriage is going to go up and to the right. My family is going to go up and to the right. My health, everything is just going to be amazing. When we translate it that way, we set ourselves up for failure. You realize that? And you might have seen this. You might know someone who's been through this. You might have experienced this yourself. 
right? Where you're like, okay, hope, man, this relationship is gonna work out and the relationship doesn't work out. God, you've abandoned me. God, you're not faithful. God, I don't even know if you're real. And we put our hope in the wrong things. When we're talking about hope here, we're not talking about hope in a certain outcome of an event of my life. Those things are important, but God's primary concern and ambition for you is not what you do with the next 10 years. It's the person you become. Rather than the size of your stock portfolio going up, God wants the size of your character to go up. The size of your faith to go up. The size of your courage to go up. The size of your kindness to go up. The size of your love to go up. The size of your perseverance to develop. That's God's ambition for you, is the person that you become. And I hope that your stock portfolio goes up. I hope that everything goes up and to the right. I'm just saying, that's not where we hang our big hope. We can all have lowercase hopes there, but our big hope is attached to the people that God is making us to be. The hundredfold return. I love this quote from Dallas Willard where he says, God is more concerned with who you are becoming than in what you can accomplish with your faith. I'll let that sink in. God is more concerned with who you are becoming than in what you can accomplish with your faith. Do you realize that? Maybe you've never been told that. I realize I find in me, even after walking with Jesus for 20 years, such a desire to define my hope and my success based on what I do and the outcomes of my career or relationships or finances or health. That's not the way life works. That's not the way life works. That God, the transactional God, I do this, you do that for me, doesn't exist. The God of the Bible, the God of Jesus, the God that's committed to you, the God that sent his son to redeem you, he's real. And his desire for you is to build you into a person of glorious character, that his glory would shine through you and you would live as his image bearer. So how is your hope meter? Now, the second thing that we see here is the power of the question. The power of the question. You'll notice Jesus gives this teaching. It is confusing in its meaning. That's part of its design. And what we see recorded and what Luke is trying to help us see is that out of all the people there, there's only a few that stop. Hey, Jesus, what does this mean? There's only a few that ask the question. Verse nine, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. The power of the question. Everyone else just kept moving or everyone else just assumed they knew what it meant or everyone else didn't care. These disciples stopped. Jesus, what, what does this mean? Will you teach me? What are you trying to say to me? I love this quote about uh, Isaac Newton said, millions saw the apple fall, but Newton was the only one who asked why. Whether that's literally true or not, I don't know, but you get the idea, right? Isaac Newton credited with, uh, you know, the discovery of gravity or the, I don't know, the, the communication about gravity, right? 
Famous story, the apple falling and him beginning to wonder. Millions saw the apple fall, but Newton was the only one who asked why. The power of questions unlocks potential for the future. So here's my question for you. What questions are you asking and to whom? What questions are you asking and to whom? Jesus was ready to tell and to teach the meaning of the parable. We can read parables and we can think, man, is Jesus being mean? Like, why, if he's got life-changing truth, is he saying it so confusingly? It just, that can be confusing about parables. But the point of the parable is for you to, like, I don't understand what this means. And anyone who asked him what it meant, he taught. So he's not being mean, he's being kind. He's trying to awaken people and teach people. And in Israel, they knew God, They'd walked with God, and they had asked many questions. You read through the Psalms, you read through their history, they're asking questions. Most of their questions are, why God, and how long? Right? Their questions kind of out of a place of, of bitterness, jadedness. And it's okay to have those questions sometimes. I have those questions sometimes. But if those are the only questions that we ask God, and we don't stop and we say, God, what does this mean? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to do in my life through this? If we don't ask those questions, there's potential waiting for us that we miss out on. So what questions are you asking and to whom are you asking them in this next year? The third thing that we see is the power of the seed. The power of the seed. So Jesus starts out by talking about this seed that's sown. And I've got some seeds here, some pumpkin seeds, $1.58 a pack. I've got five or six. And in each of these packages, you know, maybe 20 or 30 pumpkin seeds that have the potential to grow up into a pumpkin and maybe someday a pumpkin patch. And Jesus is talking here about seed that has great potential, great power. It's a seed that can produce a hundredfold return. So you see the little seed, right? This little seed can produce so much return. And Jesus teaches us in verse 11, when he's explaining the meaning of the parable, he tells us what the seed in this story is. It's the word of God. It's God's word. It's the scripture. This is the seed. And here he's describing a sower. Most theologians think that the sower is God himself going out and he's sowing seed, right? And it's not just like, man, I've got a carefully crafted plot of earth. I'm gonna put it right here. No, he's like reckless. You know, it's a little bit like, man, you need to protect your seed. Like, wouldn't it be wiser to hold on and be very calculated in how you deliver it? And I want you to see who God is in this. Because God is not stingy and judicious and narrow and only put the seed in the right dirt. Man, he's just sowing his word everywhere. The same seed with the same power for potential is not just for the people who prayed and fasted and grew up in church and went on the mission trip and there who get the seed. No, it's for everyone. It's for all. So for every single one of us today that we're here, as we read God's word, seed is being sown to all of us. And we all have opportunity for a fruitful harvest to let this transform us. That's exciting. There's power in the potential 
of the seed. God's word, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. God's word is a seed packed with power, potential, and provision. God's word is a seed packed with power, potential, and provision. So, as we think about the upcoming year, how are you and I letting ourselves have the seed of God's word be sown into our lives? How are we receiving the seed of God's word? I'm going through the book of James with my oldest daughter, and sometimes it's tempting to think about, okay, we just need to do this, here's some words. But when I, when I think about, no, 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 this word is a seed. And when we get together and we open the word of God, me and her, and we talk about it and we let it impact us, there's seeds that are being sown into her life and my life that have incredible power to bear fruit. It changes the game. It moves from just being, well, this is just kind of thing, you know, good dad, you should do. No, I'm investing in her. And when you come to the word of God, when you come on Sunday mornings, you can know we're going through the gospel of Luke, uh, I think the whole year, practically. So you can know every Sunday morning, you're not just coming to church. You're not just coming, you know, just to kind of, I don't know, just this is what I do on Sunday mornings. No, you're investing in yourself. You're investing in God sowing into your life. As you're sitting here today hearing me preach, I know it's tempting to think, well, you know, you could say it better like this. I don't know if I agree with that. And I understand that. But what I want to encourage you to do is think about God. What are you sowing into my life today? What are you pouring into me? Because God wants to pour into you. That's exciting. And I want you to know it's a great honor and privilege to occupy this space in your life. It's a high honor to be able to pour into you the word of God week in and week out. That's a trust. And I respect that and I honor that. It's a privilege. And I want you to know I'm praying and preparing and studying to be able to deliver God's word to you faithfully as your pastor. But I want to ask something of you this year. That when you come, I want to ask you to come and to take notes. And here's why. We're talking about the power of the word of God being sown hundredfold potential into your life. Studies have shown uh, groups of students who watch the same lecture, one group takes notes, one group doesn't, they both actually remember the same percentage of material, same amount of material. That's interesting. It's kind of disheartening as a teacher, but it's, it's interesting, 40%. They both remembered 40% in the kind of the follow-up quiz. Now, what's interesting, and I want you to see the contrast here. Those who did not take notes, what they remembered were a random story, a joke, uh, an obscure fact from the lecture, kind of all this kind of hodgepodge of information. Those who took notes, the 40% that they remembered were the main points of the lecture. Think about that. The act of taking notes causes you to go from just hearing, kind of remembering whatever to like, I'm going to try and distill this to what's the main idea? What's the big point? What's the, what's the thing that I need to know? And so the note takers were the ones who remembered the important stuff. Now, I think we would all agree. I don't think you'd be here on the first Sunday of the new year uh, if we didn't agree that the word of God is important. 
and that your life is important. And so, again, when we sit in passive mode and we just kind of let it sink in, you, you'll remember a couple things. You'll remember my, my, my cool jean jacket, whatever it may be. But I'm concerned for you and for me that we won't remember the main things. And then we'll go into our week and God's been pouring stuff into us and we'll, we'll, we'll just let it go by the wayside. So I want to encourage you to come and to take notes. Second thing that I want to encourage you to do and I know this is old school. I love technology. I have terrible handwriting. And so I take notes historically, digitally. I've got my Evernote. I've got my online Bible. That's the way I keep it all. I've got journals going back a long time. Each morning I get up and spend time with the Lord. I go and sit in the same place on the couch. But before my kids get up, they come in, uh, rain or shine, probably, I don't know, 19 times out of 20, um, come in and what they see is me spending time with the Lord. Or at least that's what I thought. Um, One day, one of my kids came in and was like, hey, dad, are you done playing on your computer? (laughs) What? What do you you mean? I'm spending time with the Lord. I'm being a good example. I'm I'm trying to give you a memory so you grow up and you say, well, my dad always saw I'm spending time with the Lord. And you think I'm playing on the computer? (laughs) And it took me a minute to realize that's totally what they thought. And I was like, oh man, hey, let let me just show you a thing or two. I don't know if they believe me yet, but, and I was thinking about that for us. I was thinking about you in here that are parents and your, your kids coming to church and the difference that your kids walk away with. I may not remember anything else, but they walk away with, well, we went to church regularly. Mom and dad always brought their Bibles They always brought their journals. They were taking stuff down. This must be important. And I'm ambitious for your kids to have that memory about you as a spiritual leader in their lives, that they would walk out of your house with, God's word is important. Mom and dad, show me that, not by telling me, but by showing me with their lives. And I want for people when they come in to the church who don't know the Lord, maybe they're from another religion, maybe they're from, uh, you know, just not a church person, and they come in, what I want them to see is that we are a community that loves God's word and believes God's word and that they might have the experience of being like, maybe there's something in this for me. Because again, these seeds have the power to change a life. So I want to encourage you to take notes and I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles and I want to encourage you to engage that way and I want to encourage you to do that even at your home I'm, I'm, I'm moving away from the digital Bible to the paper Bible. I know. And I love the digital Bible. But I'm trying to set an example for my kids. And I realize with the digital Bible, it's so easy to pull a random verse way out of context and lose the story. But there's glory in the story. And we want to know the story. And that paper Bible glues us into the story, the story of God. Well, I thought I was getting through all this today, but I'm trying to go slower to really pour into you. So this may take two weeks. Uh, we're about to finish, for those of you that are, that are ready. I understand. I understand. Okay, so we've got Sundays. Second thing that I want to just encourage you, when you're thinking about your sowing plan for the year, how's the word of God being sown into your life? Next month, February 2nd and 3rd, 
we have our annual World Mandate Conference. We do this every year. If you're new with us, uh, we do this every year. We take Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the beginning of the year, to set it apart to seek God, to worship God, to get in his word together, and to let God sow into our year. So I want us all to be there. I want all of us. I want us just to fill this place, the first service, the second service. We've got kids programming for the little kids, like my, my little one-year-old Jasper, or River, there's stuff for him. Jasper was just one a little while ago, now he's almost four, crazy. All the way up to Sparrow, my fifth grader, all the way up to me, 39-year-old me. Like, we've got stuff to let the word of God be sown into our lives. So you have a postcard, I believe, on the seat when you came in that has more information about World Mandate, I have the website, worldmandate.com, where you can go and you can register. Uh, judging by looks, we may not have the postcards, but we have them for you on the way out. But I want us all to be there. Not because it's like, whoa, just doing a conference. I want you to be sewn into. Third thing that I want to point to you is uh, our website, bewithjesus.me. It's a resource that we've made and are making, and we put up this week a Bible reading plan. Because I know many of us, we want to read the Bible more, and it's kind of like, I need a little structure, like me just showing up in the morning. Um, what's this book? Uh, Ezekiel? What, what's this wheel within a wheel within a wheel? I, I, I don't know, right? You can feel that way. So we put up a, a reading plan, give you a little structure to guide your times in reading the Word and letting the Word be sown into your lives and into your hearts and into your families. So we got through, uh, we got through the power of potential. We got through the power of the question, the power of the seed. Next week, we're going to do the power of the soil. We're talking about the soils. I've got a, a neat little demonstration here that I'm sure, uh, yeah, it'll be awesome. <laughs> but here are a couple of questions to write down, just filling out those application questions. So we've got, how is your hope meter? What questions are you asking and to whom? Number three, what are the words that God has sown into your life? Recently, uh, I read through some of my old journals and looked back through what are the scriptures that have really marked my life? What are the prophetic words that I've received that have been significant to me? What are those words because the Bible tells us it's by looking back at those words that we fight the good fight of faith in front of us. So what are the words that have been sown into your life? And what does God want to sow this year? How does he want to sow his word into your life this year? What's your plan? It's not going to happen by accident. Maybe coming to church is your plan. That'd be an awesome plan. Way to go. Maybe it's, I'm, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to go to World Mandate. Cool. Maybe it's, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to go to World Mandate, I'm going to be with Jesus and get that reading plan. I'm, that's how I'm going to sow. Awesome. What's your plan? Okay, I want to invite you to stand. Again, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cover the soils next week, but I want to leave you with this image of the seed and the power of the seed. And I just believe God's sowing things into your life and God's sowing things into our church and God's got good things in store for you. And so I wanna pray for you as we close that those seeds that have been sown, that we would steward those well.
and that they would bear fruit a hundredfold. Uh, our prayer and prophetic team is going to be available up at the front after the service and want to pray for some specific people. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want to help you take that step. That's step number one. Way to start 2019. So if you want to come forward after the service, one of our prayer team would love to pray with you and help you to take that step. Uh, number two, I see someone, this is a word from our prophetic team that they prayed and sent in. I see someone struggling to climb a mountain, struggling and cursing with the difficulty of the journey. God wants to help that person see how the difficult road they've been on has led them to having an incredible new perspective. Uh, God wants to heal the cartilage in someone's knee. And then someone uh, named Victor, there are spaces in life that feel empty, but ready for something new, like a plot of land that's tilled and ready for planting. God says he already has something there and says you need to trust him. But as you meet with him, he is revealing himself and doing a good thing in those places. Amen, amen. So if any of those words hit home for you, our prayer and prophetic team will be available to pray. If you guys can actually come forward, that team. Everyone else, if you'll just open your hands like you're receiving something, like we receiving seed, I'm gonna pray. Jesus, thank you for sowing into our lives. Thank you that you have great hope for us, Lord. And you're committed to filling us with hope. You have good things in store for all of us, Lord. I pray that we'd be faithful with these seeds that have been sown today and that we would see the power of these seeds grow up in our lives and produce a hundredfold return. We know that our future self will thank us. In Jesus' name, amen.